it's impossible to have a conversation about habits these days without invoking James Clare. So here's James Clare talking about something that is maybe a little bit off the beaten track, which is helping others change their habits. And let's see what the advice holds. Make it obvious, make it attractive, make it easy, make it satisfying. Those four laws and you know the various ways to intervene and do that increase the odds that you're going to fall through on a good habit. Let's take a step back from all of this. When someone picks up your book, presumably there's a selection bias that exists, which is this is a person who either through luck or through some recommendation or friend or whatever has made a decision that they at least want to examine the habits in their lives and or potentially change them. What do we know or what can we extract from this about a scenario that's different, which is, I'll use my example. You have a patient who you're trying to help and helping that patient requires some intervention. They're going to have to make a change. Now that change can be at one level really simple. I think the simplest change medicine has to offer is take a pill. There's a time and a place for pills. I think it's a bit silly when people assume that everything modern medicine has to offer is bad, pills are bad. Obviously, that's not the case. Taking your medicine for your blood pressure, your cholesterol, these things, if it's warranted, that's a really important thing to do. And we also know, by the way, that even something as quote unquote simple as taking your medicine is actually really hard for a lot of people. Most people are, I think studies demonstrate, you know, sort of in the neighborhood of 60 to 70% compliant with something as simple as take a pill. But it only gets harder from there. Getting someone who's not sleeping well to sleep well, that's a real big set of behavior changes. Getting someone who's not eating well to eat well. Getting someone who's not exercising to exercise. Getting someone who's not taking care of their mental health to take care of their mental health. All of these things require enormous change. If a person says on the surface, yes, I want to be better. I accept that I want this outcome of being healthier, but they haven't specifically had the need or desire to change the way they eat or exercise or sleep or whatever. It adds a layer of challenge or friction to this process. What advice would you offer to me in a situation like that for trying to implement your insights into that scenario to a person who hasn't fully selected into wanting to change habits? The point about people self-selecting by picking up the book is interesting. Sometimes it's like, you're sort of only helping the people who already want to be helped in that sense. It's interesting to think that most of the time, the people who most need to read the book are not the people who pick it up to read it. The people who read about habits are usually the ones who have fairly decent habits and are pretty interested in it. The people who need it the most, they've never read a book on habits and they don't want to read it. They're not interested. Something interesting about that. But I think the points you bring up are very true and challenging. Changing your own behavior is hard enough. Changing other people's behavior is like a whole nother level of difficulty, a whole another order of magnitude uh, of difficulty. I'll offer maybe three ideas that could apply. The first one, and we've already talked about this in various ways, but I do think you have to make it really small. So you said taking a pill is the smallest version, but it doesn't always have to be that. It could be, you know, if you're trying to get them to exercise, it could literally be doing one push up, walking around the block one time or something. And this is that version of like, can I just go to the gym for five minutes sort of thing? Let's just scale it down, make it super simple. Along with that, it's very hard for it to be simple if people are being pulled in multiple directions. And so I think if you're giving people a plan that has five things on there for them to do, can we eliminate four of those for now? Stay at phase two. And can we just do one right now? Let's take one thing and scale it down and stay focused and just try to get a little bit of momentum going on that. 
And then once we've established that and started to gain a foothold there and get a little bit more consistency with that one thing, we can take that momentum and transfer it into the next one. So yeah, ideally, probably a lot of patients will be doing these five things or these 15 things, but it doesn't mean you need to do all of them right now. Let's pick one and stay focused. So that's the first thing is try to keep it as simple as possible. Pretty obvious answer, but I still think a useful one. The second thing, again, fairly obvious, and we've talked about it a bit, but still I think useful, is the environment design piece. Even the laziest person, even the person who has zero interest naturally in these topics is a product of the environment that they're in. Imagine this lab experiment where you're locked in a room that only has healthy food options. Even the laziest person is going to eat healthy there. They have no other choice. And that doesn't mean that they need to change everything in their home so that it's that controlled lab experiment feel. But look, there's a lot of low-hanging fruit that can be done here that you don't actually need someone. And this, I think, is one of the reasons why I like environment changes. You don't actually need someone to be motivated every day to do this. You really just need them to be motivated for like one afternoon so that they change the environment a bit. And that can actually serve them. In some cases, it can serve them for months. But in most cases, even food-related cases, it could serve them for the next three days or five days or seven days. Just by getting junk food out of the house, that serves them for the next couple days. You only need little pockets of motivation. And if you can direct that pocket of motivation toward a high leverage action, like redesigning the environment, then it can continue to serve even a lazy person for a good chunk of time. So that's probably the second thing. So make it small, optimize the environment. And then the third thing, and this is maybe more of like a coaching thing as someone who deals with patients or has clients or whatever. The general strategy is easy to say, but very hard to follow, which is praise the good, ignore the bad. It goes against the grain of what we want to do because they're like, you're telling me I just want to ignore the mistakes that they're making. And certainly there's a place for rectifying mistakes. And I don't mean that every problem should just go unresolved. But especially early on, the thing that you really want to build is momentum and you want to reinforce the good behaviors. And as we talked about a good plant crowding out another, a way to encourage that is by praising the good and ignoring the bad. There was a hilarious op-ed that was written, I think it was in the New York Times, this wife who her husband would never throw his dirty clothes in the laundry hamper and it was driving her nuts. Occasionally he would do it, but it was like pulling teeth all the time to get him to do this consistently. She tried nagging him, she tried annoying him, you know, whatever, just all kinds of different, put the laundry hamper in a different place. Don't even have it in the closet, just have it out on the floor in the bedroom and he still wouldn't do it. Sometimes he'd throw the clothes next to the hamper. She's like, you're already throwing it over there, just put it in. Eventually what she settled on doing was that every time that he happened to put it in the hamper, she would make a huge deal about it. She'd run over, give him a kiss, give him a hug, say thank you, be like, oh, you're making my life so much easier. Thank you so much. Over the course of about a year, she effectively trained him to always put the clothes in the hamper because every time that happened, something good happened. He got praised. It felt good. Almost like training a dog in a sense, which is all kinds of organisms, dogs and humans, love feeling praised. We like feeling good. We like being rewarded. And so if you praise the good actions and ignore the bad actions, it's again, almost like a form of gravity. People naturally gravitate toward the things that they get rewarded for, the things they get praised for. And you'd be surprised how often people don't do something like this, or in fact, do the opposite. You can imagine the quiet kid in the household who comes down for dinner with the rest of the family. And it's like, oh, look who showed up. They decide to share something about their day. And it's like, oh, a fact about your life. 
And you can imagine a parent or somebody saying something sarcastic like that. And all of a sudden you're punishing the very behavior that you wanted to see. So praise the good, ignore the bad. I think it applies in a lot of situations and can be more powerful than you realized. The tricky part is it requires a lot of patience. You got to do it for six months or a year or three years. It's hard to stick with that in the long run. Last example of this is a, a weightlifting one. I was at the gym on a Friday night one time and I was there with a friend and we were doing a quick workout. It's probably like 20, 25 minutes. We got done and we were putting our shoes on and this guy who's just, I don't know, kind of a jerk went over and was talking to her and was like, quick workout for a Friday night. She just kind of moved on, but that's like exactly the opposite of the type of feedback you want to be getting, especially if you're someone who's like new coming into the gym or feeling kind of uncomfortable there. What people should be saying is, oh, it's great that you got in here, even though it's the weekend. And a little cutting comment like that is all that people need to not show up again the next day. The more that you can be lavish with praise is maybe stating it even too strongly, but it doesn't really cost you very much to be kind. And you may not even remember it, but it's the kind of thing that might be enough to get that person to show up again the next time. So in the long run, praising the good and ignoring the bad can count for a lot. Of course, the unspoken implication here as well is that you could use this on other people, but you could also step out of your own body and use it on yourself. Because one of the best ways to criticize yourself or improve yourself is to try to treat yourself like you would treat others. 